Hello, and welcome to Lopes on Movies. My name is Joey Lopes, and today I am joined by Mark. Hello. And Connor. Happy New Year, Joey. Happy New Year, Happy Mark. Happy New Year. Yay. Oh, what an exciting uh, 2022 has begun. It's, uh, it's a brave new world for movies and uh, other things in, in the world. I don't know. <laughs> new Year's, I, I, I don't really get that excited about New Year's compared to maybe some other people. It's just, it's just a, you know, another number goes up in the date. That's, that's all it is. You know? It depends, you know, sometimes. It's fun to look back on, like, the stuff that happened in the previous year, which I'm sure we'll do eventually. You know, I can, I can imagine a, uh, a Lopesaw Movies Oscar special in the... As we uh, always do. In the cards, you know, yeah. in the next month or so, whenever whenever the Oscars are. And we'll do um, the Lopesaw Movies Awards, of course, also. The Lopesaw Movies Awards, of course, absolutely. Best those movie are, those are absolutely we've essential. seen in 2021. That was, that'll be an mm-hmm. exciting award. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly can't wait. And there's there's definitely still a lot of 2021 movies that are still kind of straggling to get wide releases mm-hmm. that you know, hopefully will start to happen as we get closer to the Oscars. So I'm looking forward to that. There's there's definitely a lot more that, that I want to see from this year. It feels like it was, you know, all things considered, even though nobody went to the movies and no movies made any money, there was a lot of good movies that came out regardless. Yeah. Uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of interesting. I'm, uh, I'm definitely excited to check out the rest of, of what this past year had to offer when we finally get that opportunity. But until then, we are just going to, you know, kind of talk about some other stuff that we've been watching lately because there's, there's always just a glut of, of content out there, you know? There's, there's too much stuff to, to, to watch, too little time. There's, there's only so mm. much... And you know, may- maybe here on this show we can point you in the right direction, so you're you're not staring at the Netflix screen for 30 minutes and then deciding to just take a nap. Instead or at least you- point you in a direction. Yes. You know, it's sometimes <laughs> good to have somebody to make the decision for you. Exactly. Exactly. So I just, we we always do these kind of you know what you've been watching lately episodes, and I always pass it off to to Connor or Mark or Kyle right after the the intro but this time they they have told me that i Demanded. have to go first um so i'm gonna start with with something i've watched i watched a couple of things over the past you know a couple of weeks but one that i i kind of want to talk about because i haven't seen very many people talking about it and maybe it's kind of a niche thing but it's it's very interesting. There's this documentary on HBO that was released probably a couple of weeks ago called Listening to Kenny G. Have either of you guys heard of this? Mm-mm. No. No. Do you know anything about Kenny G? Mm-mm. Connor? I maybe. Okay. Okay. So it's it's definitely maybe a little bit of inside baseball then for uh for for people that know who Kenny G is and kind of know why he's sort of an infamous figure in the world of music. Um, he, he kind of came into prominence in the 80s. Um, he, he was initially like a jazz musician who played in like jazz school. And then after he graduated, he started, you know, gigging. And eventually he developed this like kind of style that became what we now call smooth jazz. Um, he basically in, mm. kind of invented the aesthetic of smooth jazz, um, and his he has this very very infamous reputation 
in like serious jazz circles as being just the worst guy ever <laughs> because they, they there was and and the reason is ma- is mainly because there was this perception that Kenny G was a jazz musician when what he was playing had very little to do with the history of jazz music so the serious jazz listeners and people that really have an interest in jazz would be kind of annoyed that a guy like Kenny G is getting all this acclaim and Kenny G was massively huge like one one of like the best selling he I think he is still the best selling instrumental musician of all time um so he's just massively popular and this would th- this kind of would annoy jazz people when people would call his music jazz and it's like well you know not not really right but th- there's a lot of nuance to it and this documentary is, was basically created with the intention of exploring that question why do people hate Kenny G so much what is it about Kenny G that rubs people the wrong way so much um, and it was it was directed by this uh, documentarian named Penny Lane. I haven't, I haven't heard of any of the other things that she's made, but this was a very like kind of I, I appreciated that question because it's it's one of those questions that I think is really, really valuable when it comes to talking about art in general, which is what where is the line between like just enjoying something and good taste? Is there such a thing as good taste? What is, is it? Oh, is, is hating Kenny G? something that is a just elitist or is there actual weight behind that and the interesting thing about the documentary is that i feel like regardless of your opinion on kenny g you're going to come away watching it feeling like you 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 agree with the documentary in a way because (laughs) both perspectives are portrayed very evenly and like argued fairly i think um but I think the other the other fascinating thing, this was something that Penny Lane has talked about in interviews, where initially she in, went through the documentary with the sole intention of exploring that question of like, you know, kind of good taste in art and where like the line between, you know, just popular taste and good taste, does that really exist? You know, whatever, all those questions. But she ended up focusing a lot more on Kenny G himself because he's just like the weirdest bozo guy ever. <laughs> Like he's, Wait, he's so a, does he have poor taste or no? Well, he, Kenny Kenny G, it it it's you have to listen to his music and you kind of understand. You're either going to come away thinking, yeah, whatever, this is fine, or 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 you'll hate it. Maybe you'll love it. I don't know. But the 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 idea of the documentary is was exploring that question, but it ended up focusing a lot more on him himself because he's this ridiculous like real life cartoon character, hmm. like with he he's very very like he has a massive ego no doubt about it <laughs> like he he ha- the confidence he has in himself is like absolutely unbelievable like you hear this guy talk but it, at the same time it's like on on the other hand it's like he's not exactly wrong because the things that he has attempted to do you know becoming like a massively successful musician doing ex- specifically what it is he wants to do he he pulled off right so like he's he's not exactly wrong but you listen to him and you're like oh my god this <laughs> this guy's kind of full of himself um but yeah he, 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 he it's really fascinating to watch him and just like his his mannerisms like there's one point where like the uh after they they finish a brief interview segment with him they kept the cameras rolling and he, he got up and is like how am i doing am i doing a good job you know i want to make sure that i'm the best interview you've ever had ever um he's just like obsessed with like perfection and like he practices like five hours a day like all the time like he's he's just 
just a, a wild character. But at the end of the day, like that that's not going to change the kind of opinion on on his music because what he's doing is just like completely singular in his uh his style and he's he knows that jazz people don't like him he he doesn't care you know he's aware that people think he's kind of a goofy a goofy guy you know people make fun of his hairstyle he gets it he recognizes that he he can never change his hairstyle or else people will uh will not think of him as as himself anymore like he's he's very self-aware while still being a massive egotist, it's it's just even if regardless of what you think of like the actual kind of heady question that the the documentary poses, like I th- I think you'll just kind of be fascinated watching this guy just exist because he really is a character. Are there any cool um, like uh, cameos or people that they talk to or anything? Well, the thing that's nice is that the the interview subjects in the movie are largely like professors of music mm. from cool. various different kind of like backgrounds a lot of them jazz professors a lot of them uh sometimes some of them like jazz journalists um but also just like regular people and musicologists and just kind of regular like broader you know music people um so it, you get like a really good perspective on the the Kenny G phenomenon and what that kind of meant for uh <laughs> for for music and and jazz music in particular there's this great bit where uh, I, don't, I don't know if you guys know Pat Metheny. He's one of like the one of the top like jazz guitar players of I guess like mostly like the late seventies and eighties, and uh, definitely like what you would consider a a figure in the the real jazz community, right? Um, so one of the things that Kenny G is like most widely criticized for is that he he does these weird like duets with. Uh, there's no way to like sugarcoat it. Basically, dead people. Like what? He, he he. So originally, what this was was he did a duet, quote unquote, with uh, uh, Louis Armstrong. I think it was just the uh, "What a Wonderful World" song, where he took that song and he basically grafted his kind of like saxophone solos over it, and like his Kenny G style on top of it, and. Uh, in the jazz community, like Louis Armstrong is like God, like he is the the nexus point of of jazz music, and the jazz community was like like really really upset by this this kind of act that uh, <laughs> that Kenny G had done, like kind of imposing himself on this legendary figure. And there's this infamous like I don't, I don't I think it was like an answer to a question on like Pat Metheny's blog or something where Pat just completely tore into um Kenny G and it was it, it, the uh <laughs> he there's like I can't even like specifically like say all the things he said because it's uh not safe for radio but like <laughs> I would, for uh for, for to to give it an idea he uh <laughs> one one line here when Kenny G decided that it was appropriate for him to defile the music of the man who is probably the greatest jazz musician that has ever lived by spewing his lame jive pseudo bluesy out of tune noodling <laughs> wimped out effed up playing all over one of lewis's great tracks <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> like, like it's it's like the most venomous thing in the universe and like <laughs> to that to the point where you're like okay maybe maybe kenny g's not that bad Pat. <laughs> but but it's still like the the you know, Mithy, the, he uh, Kenny G's completely aware of this. He he knew that it was was a thing. People like emailed him the thing, and he just doesn't care. 
Like he just moves on with what he's doing and is completely content. And he just recently is doing it. He's doing a new one that's even more like, like, like uh, completely artistically to me, like gross. Where he's taking a Stan Getz recording. Stan Getz was a uh, jazz saxophone player. He's taking Stan Getz recordings and having them digitally manipulated to play a melody that he wrote so that he can do a quote-unquote duet with Stan Getz over one of his own tunes. And of course, Stan Getz has been dead for years. So again, he's he's reviving the dead by doing this like pitch-corrected, like having Stan Getz quote-unquote play his melody. By he's taking... basically making a deep fake in yeah, music exactly. form. Yeah, exactly. And he he's like, I know jazz people will hate it, but I wanted to, you know, I I, I got the permission from his estate and you know his family, and you know it's uh, it's gonna be great. We're gonna we're gonna duet over one of my 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 tunes. <laughs> and, like he, I, you, I can't even fathom how like is this like a bit like, or something get, from this guy, or is he like no, he, he, this he's guy, like he's like playing a character. This is this is the thing. Like Kenny G is one hundred percent, like sincere in who he is. It's it's fascinating. Like that, that's why I, I highly recommend watching the documentary, even if you don't know anything about him. Just because you, you're you're gonna come away from it think, thinking like, "Wow, I can't believe this is a real person." <laughs> and and but but the question I still think is valuable because even beyond just Kenny G himself being so fascinating, the the question of like taste in art is something that I I think is just so important. And this documentary doesn't have any answers, really, but it explores the question through an, an interesting subject, I think. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it's uh, one of the more interesting documentaries I've seen in, in recent years. So definitely check that out. It's on HBO Max. You can, you can watch it right now. You'll, you'll have a great time. Hmm. Wow. Well, uh, how about we go to Connor now? Do you have anything you would like to tell the people? I'm up on. Uh, yeah, I'm you're up. up. All right, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do a whiplash real quick of the things I've seen real quick, and things I've let's do it and things I attended, but did I see them? I don't know. Uh, let's <laughs> let's start, let's start with what I tried to see yesterday, which was the tragedy of Macbeth. That was the uh, yes. the, the new movie from from Joel Cohen. It was not a. It was not the Cohen brothers. This one, it was just Joel Cohen. And yeah, Ethan is out of out of the picture. He's done. Mm-hmm. He's 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 thrown in the mm. towel. Well, I don't know if that's true. Well, not. I don't think so. I don't, actually, I, I don't know what the situation is. I don't know why why Ethan didn't. I think it's the first non Cohen brothers Cohen movie. Yeah, which is I was really like yeah, kind of bizarre. Well, I'll wow. tell you, they were missing Ethan because this movie sucked. Um, Ooh. No, I'm kidding. Wow. I don't think it sucked. I think I was definitely in the right, <laughs> the wrong mindset for it because I came in. Yeah. I had you know went to brunch in New York, and I had like four or something sangrias or something like that before seeing it. Oh yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And it brunch in New York is always a bad vibe. Anyway. Yeah, and it was. Uh, you get charged thirty dollars for two eggs or whatever. No, it was it was actually a pretty good deal. I'll have to tell you the name. Oh, of the place. okay. Um, All right, sounds good. But, Come uh, on, no, just... no more New York inside baseball here. <laughs> well, anyway, so I go to this movie. It's I, you know, it's tragedy of Macbeth. It stars Denzel Washington playing Macbeth and Francis McDormand, who plays his wife. And you know, it's if you know anything about that story, it's you know, uh, Macbeth tries to you know, or you know, becomes the becomes the king of Scotland, or is promised to buy, or is is uh, is is kind of like 
I don't know. He gets some, the witches tell him that he's going to become the king of Scotland, and he'll and basically will do whatever whatever it takes to to make sure that happens. So yeah, mm-hmm. and he does a bunch of bad things, and mm-hmm. you know, eventually he becomes the king. But then you know the the people like revolt against him or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. Then, like so, you know. this is very much. I mean, it's black and white. It's it's it, I guess this is a Shakespeare thing, and it's yeah. all like spoken in that dialect. And that yeah, is yeah. too I, much. I, my too much. Yeah, for my me. impression is that it was like a faithful Shakespeare adaptation. Yes, with you know Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. Yes, <laughs> it it so, was, it, and it had some very cool visuals. When I was going in between my my naps that I was taking throughout the whole thing, but the problem was there wasn't enough of it, and there were just long stretches of the dialect dialogue in you know the Shakespearean you know writing, which just I can't, I can't do. Like, I try to... <laughs> it's not for everyone. It's not... It gets tough, yeah. I'll tell you, I can try to compare this movie to a movie that I really liked, which was uh, The Lighthouse, with, with just, like, visually and, like, the shots, and then, like, how it's, like, a small cast, kind of. I mean, that, that was... Lighthouse mm-hmm. is a much smaller cast, but that movie had more, like, visual storytelling going on, and, like, the dialogue didn't mm-hmm. really matter, whereas this... There's so much dialogue, like just long stretches of just monologues and everything, which is, um, which is tough for me if I if I don't if I can't follow what they're saying and if I'm also a little sleepy. So, uh, understandable. Yeah. I definitely feel like you need to come to a, uh, a a accurate Shakespeare production with your best brain on. You yes. Know? Yeah, so you I need didn't to have your 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 brain hat on. Right. So I I do find it easier in spoken form than attempting to read it, but. I do understand oh, yeah. how annoying it can be to try to like just be on the ball for that long. Yeah, I mean it's definitely I I I, I could I could see that. I mean I maybe I'll see that at some point if I get the opportunity. But I feel like I, I want to like, watch it again with a right better mindset. What, what you should do, Connor, is you should watch Akira Kurosawa's Throne of Blood, which <laughs> is the the real cinema Macbeth. Funny story, um, I uh accidentally stole that from a library and then they charged me for it so i own it i haven't watched it because i felt oh. bad about it but i really <laughs> well, ought to watch it myself you, you paid for it so it's yours i now. did pay <laughs> for it so it's not like i actually stole it but they took away my library card eventually wow. oh that's heartbreaking it sucks yeah darn well, maybe, good movie though well it, yeah it was an okay one to have you know nabbed it was like the criterion yeah. version how much did they, yeah, you how much did they charge you I don't know. It was it was too much for what it was, but <laughs> even so, is it a DVD or a Blu-ray? Yeah, it's a. Well, I don't know. It's at my parents' house. I'll have to check next yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> it was the yeah. Criterion one, probably a Blu-ray. Yeah. Regardless, good movie. Good movie. You know, Kurosawa. You can't go wrong. Um, we, we've talked about Kurosawa on the show, I think, uh, once. But you know, we we should we yeah, should we talk really about should Kurosawa talk about him again. more. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we really should. We'll be doing it yeah. more, uh, for sure. Let's make that a let's make that a New Year's resolution. How about that? Yeah, yeah. wow, I like that. I like that. Okay, quickly, the one. other thing I saw because after after the tragedy of Macbeth was a tick tick boom. You know, you know what that is? No. Um. So my all I know about tick tick boom is that it's and I may be wrong, but I think this is right. It's a musical. Andrew Garfield is in it, and I think the main character mm-hmm. and Lin Manuel Miranda is involved somehow. I presume he directed he wrote the it. Music. I don't he know. directed it. Oh, he di- he di- he's the director. Yes, they let him behind the camera. 
<laughs> he directed this. Wow. Yeah. So it's the story. Well, uh, it, it's so it's an autobiographical musical by uh, the famous, well, the famous playwright Jonathan Larson, who like died tragically right before his biggest musical ever really became popular. I think it might have been before the first show, actually, even, and okay. which is Rent. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 I'm familiar with it. Yeah, so he died, like, tragically, which uh, you kind of find out at, at the end. I mean, you know, because they just, it's an autobiographical thing that he... Sure. Yeah, he died, like, horribly, very sadly, at, like, 35. Uh, like, just mm-hmm. sudden, sudden, like, and just never got to see any of his success, That uh, which is kind of pretty tragic. But this is pretty good. I, don't, I really don't like Rent. Uh, like I don't like the music that much. I find it kind of irritating, but I, mm-hmm. I, I like this, and I, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of this is uh, is how good Andrew Garfield is too, at as mm-hmm. the lead. He's he's singing and playing, and he's just a really strong lead. He, that Andrew Garfield's a good actor. You know that I think he's he's pretty strong in almost everything I've seen him in, and he's very good in this too. It's even being able to bring me as somebody who is not would not like like a musical more often yeah, than yeah, not. Sure to actually enjoy something like this. And I think the songs are actually pretty good. And uh, oh, wow. yeah, there's this crossover with West Side Story too, where the writer West Side Story is kind of like a, a character in this, which I guess is true to, oh. to uh, what actually happened to. Like he was an influence on, uh, on Jonathan Larson. And, and Larson actually had some pretty cool influences too in his music too. I think I, I read that some of his, his like artistic kind of like influences were like the beatles and the who and the doors like yeah, oh, yeah, those in yeah. like that's they kind of created yeah, yeah, sure. this kind of musical rock like genre i guess it didn't really <laughs> exist <laughs> as in this kind of capacity that it does now uh yeah so i thought it was pretty good pretty good it's on netflix cool. you can watch it it's uh wow know, not bad very different than tragedy of Macbeth. it certainly wasn't something i was you know jumping out of my seat to to go watch but i'm I'm glad to hear that it's uh it's pretty good and that's uh that's nice so you, it's good when a movie that you had no intention of seeing is good you know because it, it maybe you're probably still not going to watch it but at least now you can you can go to sleep at night knowing that there's something else in the world that's good you know yeah so that's that's nice no, I think that's good. That's two new things that I that I've seen. So how how about we just move it over to to, to Mark, to Mr. Mark now. Um, and now I'm going to talk about something very mainstream. It's called Angel's Egg, um, directed by Mamoru Oshii, and um, apparently written, but definitely designed by Yoshitaka Amano. I found that mm-hmm. interesting. That mm-hmm. that was a writer's credit. Um, now, as to who who those two people are. Um, Oshi, I don't know if people would really... Oh, yes, they would. He directed Ghost in the Shell. Everybody yeah, knows yeah. Ghost he, in the he's Shell. He's the Ghost in the Shell guy. That, that's and, that's and his, like, mainstream. A thing. couple other. He he does very high-end, very high-fidelity animated works, honest. I, I don't think there's anybody who quite matches him in just pure, like, detail of animation for some of these. Yes. Especially Ghost in the Shell and Hat Labor. And, and if, then if you if you couldn't Amano, tell, we're, we're, we're talking about anime, by the way. Yeah, we've I'm sorry. We've, yeah, <laughs> jumped straight into the deep end here. It's why, um, but it's okay. It's why we saved it for the end, so you can just switch off. <laughs> just jump off. No, anyway, no, everybody, I believe I a lot of people would watching. actually know both of these uh, work or these artists' work, though, because Amano 
did a significant amount of work. I'd say even laid the like iconic imagery of the Final Fantasy series. So everybody yes. knows him. Yes. Um just that gorgeous like but really surrealistic um I don't even know what to call it. What would you call it, Joey? Oh man, I it, it has this kind of It's amazing and it. I highly yeah. recommend. It it's this ethereal like almost like it's it's a definite otherworldly super delicate quality to a lot of yes. what he makes. Yes. And that more than anything else really shines through an angel's egg. It is gorgeous. Which helps because, I mean, this is not a movie for everybody. It's extremely <laughs> art house. Yes. There's next to no dialogue whatsoever. It, it more than anything else, kind of reminds me of, like, Stalker or something along those lines. Yeah, like Tarkovsky. Where there's yeah. just two very silent, dour characters <laughs> that sometimes talk to each other, but it's mostly them going through these really gorgeous environments. The... The movie mostly takes place in this abandoned-ish Paris mm -hmm. um, and also has a lot of architecture designed by Amano. Most strikingly is this, like, giant eye yeah, spaceship the eye the sky. church <laughs> thing. It's got, like, an eye that's made of stained glass. It's like mm -hmm. God's eye or something. It's a very, it's the kind of movie that if you wanted to sit there and talk about what everything could mean and what's going on for... Uh, to no end um you totally could and to help you on that journey oshi himself has said he has no idea what the movie's about although it was made in a time shortly after that he had lost his uh religion although i don't mm -hmm. personally know if that involved a complete loss of faith i actually think the movie personally leaves that somewhat open-ended mm -hmm. in an interesting way yes um and it's just beautiful i don't know how, how else to put it it's it's like got an absolutely gorgeous soundtrack as well um, absolutely it's just so incredible all the way yeah uh, i just highly recommend this movie if you can get yourself into the mood for it um yeah it's one of those things that's like uh, the first time i saw angel's egg i made sure to like you know big screen big sound system just like i want to immerse myself in this because i had heard about it like it's kind of like it has a bit of a infamous reputation it came i think it came out in like the 80s or something yes. as like a, a video animation like it was released like just on video um mm -hmm. in japan and it kind of developed this reputation as like this like really really like art house it's impenetrable anime, yeah um, that that like <laughs> You know, but it had this like powerhouse team behind it, right? Like you have you have Oshi and you have Yoshitaka Amano, like you know, two of the most well known like artists in the in the media world in in Japan, um, and both of them who have a style that is very like I, I I would struggle to say like Amano himself is philosophical, but his his artwork has like a this quality to it that feels so otherworldly, and that combined mm -hmm. with like Oshi's kind of like innate philosophical tendencies in his mm -hmm. work it felt like this was a match that was going to produce something interesting um and yeah, yeah but the it, it is very like you said very art house and it's it's not the kind of thing that has a a narrative that's like 
really obvious in like yeah i could tell by interpretation of the events but i think this is probably something that if you would be into it would be better off experienced for yourself and oh yeah sort of thinking about all of these things i mean ultimately uh, it's like... very religious in nature though uh, oh sure undeniably yeah. um but it, it's fascinating whatever whatever your takeaway from it is to me it's like a completely overwhelming audiovisual experience like mm -hmm. the kind of thing that while you're watching it you can't believe it exists <laughs> you yeah. know like it's just it, it's a absolutely beautiful piece of work that just like sticks in your brain like some some of the the sequences and images in the, in the movie are just utterly like transfixing yeah um, and then like you'll, you'll never forget it and, and like you said like the music just fits this this atmosphere so incredibly well. Like I've, I've listened to that soundtrack over and over since watching the movie forever ago. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely something for like the people out there that are looking to <laughs> explore something beyond the, the mainstream. But yeah. at the same time, I think it's, it's extremely compelling. Um, so yeah, I would, I would definitely highly recommend uh, checking that one out. It, it, it's, it's like I said, it, it has a bit of a reputation. It's not like nobody's heard of this. And we're just hawking some some nonsense. No, yeah, like, this is not a nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's, a, it's just probably a little off the beaten path for some people, or for like a general audience. I yeah, think. yeah. But if you're if you're into that sort of thing, you know, kind of exploring the uh, further potential of, of animation and film, you know, that's that's a great place to start. I yeah. think. Well, uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Lips on Movies. We'll be back next week where we'll be talking for about. Uh, the, the, Mark really wants us to talk about this Adult Swim show called Smiling Friends that you may or yeah. may not have heard of. It has nothing to do with movies, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, don't worry. We'll get to the movies. We'll get to the movies. All right. See you, everybody.